we were able not only to measure the mechanical properties, the other thing was that we were able to quantify. So we said, okay, the main walls are softer, are mechanically softer, and always mechanically softer. Greetings, humans, and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science, edition number 23. I am Lefteris, the annoying guy that calls academics and scientists and asks them all the questions until I understand what, how, and why they do what they do. After a series of episodes and topics I had little to no idea about, today we're talking about a topic that at least I had some knowledge before the interview started. Today we're talking about ferroelectric materials. What are they? How do we use them? And what are the ways that scientists study them? To answer these questions, I contacted Christina Stefani. She's a PhD student at the Catalan Institute of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology in Spain. She took some time between lab work and writing papers to talk to me about her work. Before we start the show, as always, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to it and share it with your friends that might like it too. If you don't like it, then don't do anything. Follow me on Twitter at Lefteris underscore asks, and we also now have an Instagram page under the same name, so we're getting there. Additionally, I have a weekly newsletter where I share my favorite news from the world of science and academia. I have small explanations and links to the research for anyone who wants to find out more. If you like that, go to the show notes and click that link to subscribe to the newsletter. Lastly, in the show notes, you'll find some links. You can support me in doing this by donating. Let's now meet Christina Stefani. Hello, my name is Christina Stefani, and I am a PhD student in the Catalan Institute of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology, based in Barcelona. I'm working on the surface electromechanics, as we studied by atomic force microscopy. From the introduction here, there are two things that need to be explained. Firstly, the term surface electromechanics, and then atomic force microscopy. Now, calm down. These terms sound fancy, but things are simpler than they appear. Let's start with the electromechanics aspect of the, of the research. Basically, to study electromechanically something, you use procedures that are used in both electrical and mechanical engineering. A type of material that is interesting for both of those disciplines is a type of materials that's called ferroelectric materials or ferroelectrics. Ferroelectrics are type of materials that uh, are spontaneously polarized. That's their main characteristic. But the advantage is that you can switch this polarization by applying an external electric field. So these these arise properties like you can handle uh, the materials as you like by applying electric field. Uh, you switch the polarization. Electric polarization refers to the separation of a center of positive charges and the center of negative charges in a material. You can do that in many materials with an applied electric field. However, some materials, like ferroelectric materials, are either spontaneously polarized and they can keep their polarization without that electric field. Each area of the material that is polarized in one direction is called a domain. And the area between the domains is called a domain wall. Keep that in mind, it will come in handy later. Now, where do we use such materials, you might ask? Well, they have been used for non-volatile memories, as tunable capacitors, energy storage, and energy harvest. Their application is wide, 
That's why researchers like Christina Stefani are interested in them. And in her research, she's very interested in those domain walls we're talking about. In this work, we are not dealing exactly with the domains of ferroelectrics, but with the domain walls. So as domains, we define every area inside the material that has the same polarization. The boundaries between these areas are called domain walls. So it's the area where the polarization switches from one direction to another. And more specifically, we're working on 180 degrees domain walls. That means that there is domain walls that separate areas completely opposite polarized. And even more specifically, that they're polarized out of plane. Out of plane, it means like vertical to the to the surface plane of the material. Because domain walls that are um, out of plane and in plane, they have different properties. It's completely different to separate areas that are opposite uh, polarized or to separate areas that are like, they have 90 degrees difference in polarization, for example. What we're interested in is on the mechanical properties of domain walls, right? So the, the fantastic thing about domain walls is that they expose, they have actually different properties than the, than the domains around them. So, for example, you can have a material that it's, uh, that it's insulator, and we have found that at the domain walls, it's conductive. And in some cases, it's even superconductive. Or there are domain walls that they, they exhibit magnetoresistance. So in general, there's a, an intense research on the electronic properties of domain walls. So we thought that it would be really useful to see what's happening about the mechanical properties. Because in nanoscale, mechanics does matter. So it makes sense to see what's happening in these domain walls. Uh, the thing is that we want to isolate the mechanical behavior of domain walls. And this would be clearer to do it in 180 domain walls. Because if you're looking at domain walls that are not completely between opposite domains, there are other mechanisms inside. I mean, they take part and the results may be confusing. But for example, in uh, in domain walls that they separate like uh, domains with 90 degrees difference, so domains that from one side are polarized out of plane and from the other side are polarized, polarized in plane, they have different mechanical properties just because the structure of out of plane walls and in plane walls are different. So it's easier to deform one type of domains. This research happened in more than one materials to make sure that the results that they were getting wasn't a material-specific property. And they tested both materials that were spontaneously polarized and materials that they polarized themselves. So right off the bat, you understand that the task of doing such a work can be quite time-consuming. Now that we can know more or less what is that Christina Stefani is studying, let's see how she does it. With the help of the atomic force microscope, or AFM. AFM is a microscope, okay? Atomic force microscope, but it's not an optical microscope. Um, it's the category of scanning probe microscopy. That means that you have a probe that either comes in touch with the material, either comes very, very, very close to the material, and you are checking what you sense with this probe. This is the basic, basic principle of AFM. 
Uh, of course, there are different modes on it, uh, depending on what you want to measure. Uh, you are using a different mode of AFM. Uh, the most uh, common thing is that you can check the, the topography of the material, so how the surface looks like. And in our case, what we are interested in is what we call piezo response force microscopy, which is a technique that allows you, due to the inverse piezoelectric phenomenon, to check the ferroelectric uh, properties of the material. So with PFM, what we do is that we have this, uh, this tip, this cantilever with a tip at the end, and the, the tip is in contact with the sample. And we send an AC voltage through the tip to the sample. And so the sample is, because it's piezoelectric, it vibrates, right? Piezoelectric means that when you apply an external field, it changes volume. Uh, so what we do is to apply an AC, an alternative voltage, and we see how the, the material volume changes. But we're sensitive only to one direction. So we see how the material goes up and down. So what we can check with this measurement is, uh, first of all, what's the topography of the sample, because we are, we are scanning in contact with this, so we know how it looks like, the surface. And the other two things we are checking is the amplitude of oscillation of the material and the phase of oscillation. So the amplitude can give us information about how, how strong piezoelectric material is. So, I mean, if it has uh, a big piezoelectric coefficient, it will, uh, it will oscillate more. And the other thing we're checking is the phase, where from the phase we get information uh, about the, um, the sign of polarization. So, for example, if we're uh, domains that are oppositely, oppositely polarized, they should show a different, uh, an opposite phase when they oscillate. So with this technique, we can identify these domains that are already there. We can apply a small electric field and create new domains of different shapes and sizes. But that's not where this technique stops for Christina Stefani. Because, as she said, she's interested in the mechanical properties of those domain walls. For the mechanical properties, we're using another mode that it's called contact resonance uh, force microscopy. We call it CRF. Okay. Um, in this technique, you are still you have your tip in contact with a sample, but now you mechanically vibrate the tip on its base. So you create a vibration of the tip, which is in contact with the with the sample. And what we measure in this case mainly is the resonance frequency of this oscillation. So everything depends on the mechanical contact between the tip and the sample. And as we consider that the tip is something that is stable, it doesn't change its mechanical properties or its geometry through the measurement, whatever change uh, we see in the resonance frequency comes due to the change uh, of the mechanical properties of the sample. For example, to make it a little bit like clearer or more easy, uh, imagine that you have a very, very hard uh, material and you have a tip that is in contact with it and you vibrate the tip. What you will measure 
is actually just the vibration of the tip, right? Because the sample itself, uh, it's not going to, to vibrate or change anything. But when you are measuring a very soft sample or a softer sample, let's say, you will have change in the resonance frequency of this whole vibration, not because the tip changed, but because its contact and the mechanical properties of the sample changed. So what we do is that we measure this resonance frequency and we correlate it with the mechanical properties of the sample. And indeed, the stiffer is the material, the higher is the resonance frequency. So because it's more difficult to make it shake, let's say. And the softer is the material, the lower is the resonance frequency. We now have a picture about how the measurement is happening. There is a tip that comes in contact with the surface of the material, then you vibrate the tip mechanically, and you measure how is the vibration of the tip changing because of its contact with the material. Mrs. Stefani was kind enough to explain the next steps of how do you get the changes in the vibration to mechanical properties of the material. So the idea behind this is that the whole system, so remember that our system is like a tip in contact with the sample. The whole system, the tip, the sample, and the contact between them is characterized by three different Young modules. So you have the Young modules of the cantilever, the Young modules of the sample, and the Young modules of the, of the contact. And this is why the contact of the tip and the sample is represented by a spring. I don't want to get into details because it's too mathematics, but the idea is that you represent the whole thing with two springs in series, you see how they move, and then you can get numbers about how the young modulus changes. And the correlation between the young modulus and this spring contact becomes with, uh, with mechanics. It's, the, it's what we call Hertz contact. It's a type of mechanical contact that gives you all the formulas you need. We talked about what are ferroelectric materials, we talked about AFM, we talked about the domain walls and what they are, and that we're studying the mechanical properties. Let's now talk about results, the exciting part. Are domain walls harder or softer? And the other fascinating thing about this work uh, is that we were able not only to measure the mechanical properties, because the difficulty in measuring the mechanical properties is that you have a very, very small area because the main walls are very, very thin. But apart from being able to measure it and be able to, to prove that this happens in every ferroelectric material, the other thing was that we were able to quantify it. So we said, okay, the main walls are softer, are mechanically softer and are always mechanically softer. We were able to see to say, okay, they're... For example, we have found that they're around 20% softer than the domains around. For better or for worse, an experimental work like this always gets challenged until somebody has a model and describes why the materials and the experiments behave the way they do. Well, part of the PhD journey is to describe at least one model like that. Cool, they're softer, oh, where everyone, everyone is happy about it. Okay, why? Why they're softer? Why they're not harder? Why, I don't know, why they're not the same? Okay. So we tried to explain it. And we found that there are actually two reasons, two mechanisms uh, working behind it and explaining why they're softer. And those two mechanisms are not, uh, 
are not mutually exclusive. I mean, they can happen at the same time, both of them. Okay. Uh, one mechanism has to do with uh, the motion of domain walls. So what happens is when you when you have a tip on top of the of the sample, you apply a force, right? You apply a force on the sample, and what you are trying to do is to deform it. But when the when, for example, you are above a domain that it's polarized. This, this force acts against its deformation, and it's very hard to deform it. But when you are really close, not above a domain wall, but really close to a domain wall, the material prefers to slide the domain wall towards the, the tip, towards where the force is applied, rather than deform the polarized area. And because the polarized area is hexagonal, and uh, and the domain wall is cubic because the main wall overall has no polarization because you go from polarization up to polarization down so the total polarization is zero so it's structure it's cubic so you feel that is um, that is easier to deform it so you feel that it's softer and this is one explanation why domain walls are soft. The other has to do with the cost of deformation. So how how easy or how hard is to deform it, right? So as I told you, when you when you're above the above a polarized area with a tip, and you press you press against this polarization, this whole thing has uh, has a cost of deformation, and this cost of deformation is proportional to the polarization squared. So it doesn't matter if you're above an area that is polarized up or an area that's polarized down. The cost of deformation, the energy you need to deform it, is proportional to the polarization square. But domain walls have total polarization zero. So the corresponding electrostatic cost of deformation is zero. So it's easier to deform it. And that concludes a small story of the research that soon-to-be Dr. Christina Stefani is doing. These domain walls are another tool that the material scientists use in order to create materials and structures with favorable properties. I'd like to thank Christina Stefani for her time, and best of luck for her future work and studies. And thank you for sticking around until the end. Once again, in the show notes, you will find ways that you can support me in doing this. One easy way you can support me is by just sharing this episode around with a friend. I really appreciate it. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind.